Merry Christmas. Welcome. Glad you're here with us. If you're watching online, welcome. Glad you're here. Comment. Let us know that you're here. Um, it helps us feel like we're all in the room together, right? So I hope you are enjoying the Christmas season. I don't know. Everybody has different traditions and different things and, you know, whatever it is that you do. One of the things that we often in my family is we watch various Christmas movies, right? And maybe in your mind, you kind of have a ranking of Christmas movies that are the best or worst or whatever. But so if you're watching online, you can share. What is your favorite Christmas movie, right? So let us know. If you're in the room, you can lean over and tell someone what your favorite Christmas movie is or whatever. But, um, you know, it's good. Christmas is a fun time to have traditions and do things, um, you know, like watch Christmas movies every year. Like, it's one of the only times we watch the same movies every year at the same time, right? And they, I guess they, sometimes they get old, but sometimes they don't, right? So again, welcome. We're glad you are here. We are finishing this morning our series um, for Advent called A Thrill of hope. And our main idea through this whole thing and our main idea for this morning is Jesus has come to bring hope to a weary world. And each week we've had our candles here. Reza, thank you for lighting our candle today. And, you know, these representing hope and uh, hope and peace and joy and love. I want to just take a moment. Just where you're at, wherever you're sitting, just take a deep breath. Be still for a moment. Because Christmas reminds us that Jesus has come bringing hope, peace, joy, and love into our world. And it is, it is so such good news. And we can sometimes just fly right through Christmas and let it just kind of go past us. And we miss the heart of God in the midst of Christmas that he has come to bring peace. So this morning, just kind of take a deep breath. Be still. As we have time this morning together to look to Scripture, to think about Christmas and what Jesus has done. If you have a Bible with you, go to Luke chapter 2. Um, it'll be on the screen as well. And um, we're going to read from Luke chapter 2. But as we saw in the video, the, the video kind of gave us a summary of what happens in verses like 1 through 20 of Luke 2. It gives us the story of Christmas, the birth of Jesus. But this morning, we're actually going to go a little bit past that and look a little bit further in Luke chapter 2, just after Jesus was born. Look at the lives of two people. Their names are Simeon and Anna. And they both waited for the coming of the Messiah, the coming of Jesus, and they saw God's promises fulfilled. So we're going to read this. We're going to read verses 25 through 32. Then we're going to jump to verse 36. So um, follow along on the screen or in your Bible. Luke chapter 2, verse 25. It says this. Now there was a man in Jerusalem whose name was Simeon. And this man was righteous and devout, waiting for the consolation of Israel. And the Holy Spirit was upon him. And it had been revealed to him by the Holy Spirit that he would not see death before he had seen the Lord's Christ. And he came in the spirit into the temple, and when the parents brought in the child Jesus to do for him according to the custom of the law, he took him up in his arms and blessed God and said, Lord, now you are letting your servant depart in peace according to your word, for my eyes have seen your salvation, that you have prepared in the presence of all peoples a light for revelation to the Gentiles and for glory to your people Israel. We're going to go to verse 36. 
And there was a prophetess, Anna, the daughter of Phanuel of the tribe of Asher. She was advanced in years, having lived with her husband seven years from when she was a virgin, and then as a widow until she was 84. She did not depart from the temple, worshiping with fasting and prayer night and day. And coming up at that very hour, she began to give thanks to God and to speak of him to all who were waiting for the redemption of Jerusalem. All right, there's a lot there. You're probably thinking, who is Phanuel? Who is Asher? What does this have to do? Why? There's math in there. She's seven years and 84 years. Hang tight. We'll get it on. Right? Hang on. All right, so right, we've all lived through this year together, um, and you've probably seen all the jokes like 2020 has been a really long decade, right? Or like 2020 is the longest Monday in history. I can't believe it's December. It was just March like 16 years ago, right? It's been a long year, right? Um, and you can keep going on those, right? And I think, like, we've all probably spent a lot of time at home, right? Probably a lot of time watching Netflix, more than we're like, I don't really want to know how much. Like, I've watched TV and stuff, right? At the beginning, like, you think back to March. At the beginning, everyone was like, yes, Sava Biennale. We are all in this together. And now people are like, eh. I'm just tired of this, right? We're just, it's like tiring and wearying, right? It has been a hard year. And I really actually don't want to like make it like jokey because it's hard. And like, there's a sad reality to a whole lot of things in our nation and in our world. It has been a very hard year. And we just sang O Holy Night with that incredible line, a thrill of hope, the weary world rejoices. Church, that is what I want it to sink deep into our hearts this morning. In our weariness, for so many of us, our actual today, right here, literal weariness that we feel, probably physical, emotional, spiritual, mental, all of those things, we feel weary. But in our weariness, in our waiting, there is hope. There is rest. That Jesus has come. This is what Christmas is all about. We just read in Luke chapter 2, read about Simeon and Anna, and these two, they're, they're, they're older people um, as we read this story, but we think about, imagine being Simeon and Anna. Every day they go to the temple, and they've been, and Simeon's, God's given him this promise, you're going to see the Messiah before you die, and every day he goes, he's waiting, he's expecting, right? He probably got tired, but imagine being Simeon and Anna every day just waiting. But why? Why were they waiting? They were waiting for the Messiah. God had promised to rescue and to save his people, to save his people from their sin. And while they were waiting, they probably asked some of these questions. And the the, the questions that you and I are tempted to ask, they probably said, is God going to keep his promises? Does God really care? God told me this, but I'm not seeing it. I'm going, I'm waiting every day, day after day. I'm waiting, I'm waiting, I'm weary, I'm waiting. Does God care? Is God good? Is God faithful? Is he even there, right? The Bible shows us the whole scope of God's plan to save his people. And yes, God keeps his promises, but often those questions come, and Simeon and Anna may have faced those questions as well, just like you and I. And so we think about Advent The season leading up to Christmas, it means expectant waiting. Advent is a time to remember that Jesus has come as a thrill of hope and the weary world rejoices. Christ has come into our world, a world that is filled with pain, 
and brokenness and suffering and struggle and fear and anxiety and sin and all of those things. But Advent reminds us that God has not left us on our own. That God's people waited for the Messiah and he came. And today we await God's return and we are reminded that in our waiting, God has been and will be faithful. So this morning, wherever you are, whatever you're feeling or facing, whatever heaviness or burden you carry, maybe whatever even whatever questions you have about all this like Jesus stuff and Christianity stuff, this message is for you this morning because there is a place to find true rest. Jesus has come to bring hope to a weary world. Two major points I want to look at, and then just like any good pastor, I have two other points later, right? So track with me, hang with me, right? Two major points. Christmas is necessary, and Christmas is good news, all right? Christmas is necessary. This is something I talked about a few weeks ago that just kind of like came out in a sermon. It wasn't in my notes, and now I'm like making it more of a sermon. So, you know, here we go. Um, Our point this morning is that Jesus has come to bring hope to a weary world, but our problem is way bigger than just weariness, Right? If that was the case, I'd just tell you to go on a nice vacation, take a long nap, whatever it is. Right? But Christmas isn't necessary because we're tired. Christmas is necessary because our sin separates us from God. So, good news this morning, we're going to talk about sin and all of our failings and our shame and our guilt. Right? So, Merry Christmas. Hang with me. We're going to get somewhere. We're going to go somewhere with it. Right? But Christmas is necessary because our sin separates us from God. So, let's look at this story of Simeon and Anna. In verses 25 through, through 32, right? So there's this man, he's in Jerusalem, his name was Simeon. Um, it says, it describes him as righteous and devout. It doesn't tell us how old Simeon is, but the context here is that he's old and he's been waiting a long time. And he kind of comes to that point in his life where he says, God, you've promised that I'm going to see the Messiah. Now I've seen him, now I can die in peace. So it doesn't tell us how old he is, but it's, it seems that he's old, right? So it says he was waiting for the consolation of Israel. This is important. What does that mean? That word waiting there means looking for the kingdom of God or looking forward to something, right? All of us have probably ordered packages, right, this time of year, right? And you're like looking out the window, checking your phone, checking the tracking status. You are waiting. You are looking forward to something. So he's waiting. He's waiting for the kingdom of God. He's looking to something. It says that phrase, the consolation of Israel. As I dug dug into that a little bit, it actually comes from a different part of the Bible, a book called Isaiah in the Old Testament. In Isaiah chapter 40, there's a verse that says, Comfort, comfort, my people, says your God. These words are connected, this consolation, this comfort. It's as if Simeon's saying he's waiting for the comfort that God promised way back in Isaiah. He's looking for the comfort of God's people. He's waiting. And so every day he shows up at the temple. He's waiting. And he comes on this day. And and, and the the Holy Spirit has told him and said, hey, you're going to see the Messiah before you die. This is a promise given to him by the Holy Spirit. Verse 27, he came in the Spirit into the temple. And when the parents brought in the child Jesus to do for him, according to the customs of the law, he took him up in his arms and blessed God and said, and we'll get to that in a minute. But... So Mary and Joseph, they bring Jesus to the temple. Part of their custom was the firstborn son would have been dedicated as like, God, would you 
bless this child? Would you like let him serve you and honor you all the days of his life? And so there was this part of this temple where they dedicated this. And so Mary and Joseph are just doing what they know to do. This is their firstborn son. They bring him to the temple. And when Simeon sees him, he knows. The parents come, he brings him, he takes him, Simeon takes him in his arms. There's like this like Lion King moment, right? If you picture, I don't know, right? But he takes him and he says, now, he blessed God, which means he worshiped God. In verse 28, 29, it says, Lord, now you are letting your servant depart in peace according to your word, which means what? God, you did what you said you were going to do. My eyes have seen your salvation that you have prepared in the presence of of all peoples, a light for revelation to the Gentiles, the glory and for glory to your people, Israel. So Simeon's coming, he's saying, God, you've kept your promises. This child, this is the one that will bring hope, that will bring salvation to the people of Israel and to all the world. God, you have done what you said you were going to do. You've kept your promises. He's waiting. He's looking. You look, flip over to verse 36, and we have the story of Anna, this, and she's a prophetess. It says she was a daughter of Phanuel, the tribe of Asher. She was advanced in years. You can look at this multiple different ways. If you kind of, it says that she was, she was, um, she lived with her husband for seven years when they got married, and then she was a widow until age 84. Some ways, some people look at it and say she was 84 years old. Some say that she was way past 84, that she'd been a widow for 84 years. I don't know. She's she's old at this point. It's especially in the first century, 84 plus is, is quite old, right? Um, but every day she's in the temple. Every day she goes, she's worshiping, she's fasting, she's praying. And so all this is happening with Simeon. He's blessing God and she comes up and she says, this is the one, this is the Messiah that we've been waiting for, that we've been longing for, for hundreds of years that we've been waiting because God has promised to send Jesus. And she gives thanks to God and begins to speak of him to all who are waiting for the redemption of Israel. Okay, so that's the story, Simeon and Anna. What does that mean? Waiting for the redemption of Jerusalem. What is the redemption that they are waiting for? How did we get to this point? What have they been waiting for and why? So let's back up just a little bit. The Bible is really one story that tells us of God's redemption. And if you were to read it from beginning to end, kind of step back and see the big picture, this is what you will see. There's, there's really four major components, and this, we're going to see why they're waiting. What are they waiting for? In the beginning of the Bible, in Genesis we, see, Genesis, we see the story of creation, that God brought everything into being, and what God designed, what God created, was perfect. God created humanity, God created the things around us, and we see what God has created is good and perfect. And then in Genesis chapter 3, still at the beginning of the Bible, we have the story of where sin, guilt, and shame enter the human race. They rebel against God, and they say, God, thanks for what you've done. We'll take it from here. We want to do our own thing. We want to be powerful. We want to be like you. We want to be in charge of our own lives. And it was rebellion against God. And so they are separated from God. Their sin brings shame, brings guilt, and separates them from God. And so then as you keep going through the Bible, all the way up to basically where we are today, you have the story of God's people in the midst of brokenness and sin. Right? That's why when you that's why you can read the Bible and see stuff and be like, why is that in the Bible? They killed this, they did that, they went there. It's because it's describing to us 
this life and world of brokenness of sin, of not what God intended and designed. Right? So you keep going and you see that God's people are waiting for redemption because even back in Genesis, God gave a promise that there would be salvation, that someone would come, a Messiah, a Savior would come to rescue people out of their sin. So the Bible gives us this whole story of God's people waiting and looking for redemption. Hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of years of people waiting. And so you come to Luke chapter 2, you come to the New Testament, and this is what we see. We see the story of redemption. This is what Simeon and Anna are waiting for, that they've been waiting for, that the Israelite people, God's people, had been waiting for for hundreds of years, for God to come, for the Messiah to be born as he had been promised. So Jesus comes, he is born, the Messiah, he comes to rescue. He is a way of salvation. He's a way back to God. And we have this redemption. And then the final kind of part of the Bible that we see is the story of restoration, where God in his grace and his love makes everything new and restores everything back to what God intended. And so the thing is, right now, for those who've put their faith in Jesus, our relationship with God has been restored. Our sin has been forgiven. We're no longer separated from God. And yet we look around and say, well, not everything is restored, right? The world is still a mess. And we have this hope and this promise that God will restore all things back to what he intended in the beginning. Right, so this is kind of the grand scope of Scripture. And so when we think back to Simeon and Anna, they are seeing God fulfill his promise of redemption right in front of them. Like literally holding the baby and like imagine like being like one day you're waiting, the next day you come and the Messiah is there. Jesus has come. They're seeing right in front of them God's plan for redemption. That God had promised to redeem his people from their sin and now the Messiah has come. So why was Christmas necessary? Because of sin. That first Christmas had to happen. It was the way that God entered the world to one day give his life on the cross for the sins of the world. In the book of Matthew, another gospel, chapter 1, it tells the story of Jesus' birth. And in in Matthew 1.21, it says this, talking about Mary. It says, She will bear a son, and you shall call his name Jesus for he will save his people from their sins. Jesus had to come. God, the Messiah had to be born because sin had entered the world. It was necessary. And so Simeon and Anna are rejoicing because they understand what it means that Jesus has been born. He is the one promised by God to save his people from their sins. A savior for all people. You look in... um, Later there in verses 31 and 32, it says a light he's prepared for the people of Israel and for the Gentiles. It simply means for everybody, right? Christmas had to happen because humanity needed redemption. Christmas was necessary because of sin. Like we, you and I, we have no other way out of our sin. We can try to clean it up. We can try to patch it up. We can try to hide from it. We can try to do better. But we have no way to fix the deepest problem inside of us, which is our sin and separation from God. But God sent Jesus. And this is good news. So Christmas was necessary or is necessary. Secondly, 
Christmas is good news, all right? So if you're thinking like, okay, let's like, don't, I, we don't sometimes like to talk about sin and guilt and shame, but let's talk about the good news of Christmas. Good news literally means an announcement, right? We use the word often here, the word gospel. That word means an announcement of good news. It means something has been proclaimed right? Um, you've probably seen, or maybe you've done yourself, like if you, if someone's going to have a baby, they usually make an announcement, and then now we have like these gender reveal things, and if you really want to have fun, just go to YouTube and search gender reveal fails, because it's wonderful, like, all right, so let's watch this, we're going to watch a little video clip of, um, of an announcement, and see how it goes. You're going to have a baby sister. Gully? I'm a baby sister. You're gonna have a baby sister. <laughs> don't don't worry, Landon. We can still name her Optimus Prime. It's okay. Okay? announcement that didn't go so well, right? Um, but the story of Christmas is good news. It is a good announcement, right? So the Christmas, Christmas is a story of good news, that Jesus, the Savior, has come. The wait is over. And in Luke chapter 2, verses 1 through 20, which is kind of what the video summarized for us, here's what it's telling us. Christ has come. In Luke 2, verse 6, it says this, in, in yeah, verse 6, it says, And while they were there, the time came for her to give birth. It's talking about Mary and Joseph. And so the, the rulers, the governors of that time said, Hey, you need to go back to your hometown. You need to go because there's going to be this like census registration thing. You need to go where your family's from, check in, all that kind of thing. Um, and so Mary and Joseph go to Bethlehem because that's where Joseph's family was from. But let me listen to that again in verse 6. While they were there, the time came. For her to give birth. And that really stood out to me this week. When we think about this whole scope of creation and the fall of humanity and redemption, and then we come to this one moment that says the time came, which means that God keeps his promises. This is good news. In our waiting, in our weariness, the time came. Verses 10 through 14 there's shepherds in the field, and the angels appear to them, right? And they're kind of, like, terrified. They're like, oh, man, if you just imagine being outdoors and suddenly heavenly beings just, like, descend upon you and, like, light and all, you would be terrified as well. Verse 10, it says, and, be, and the angels said to them, to the shepherds, fear not, for behold, I bring you good news. There's that word again, of great joy that will be for all the people. For unto you is born this day in the city of David a Savior, who is Christ the Lord. And this will be a sign for you. You will find a baby wrapped in swaddling clothes and lying in a manger. And suddenly there was with the angel a multitude of the heavenly host praising God and saying, Glory to God in the highest, and on earth peace among those with whom he is pleased. We look at this announcement that the angels give. There is good news of great joy that will be for all the people. Today, Jesus, the Christ, the Messiah, has been born. And it leads these angels to worship. It leads these shepherds to later on say, we've got to go find this child. We see that phrase, the time came. Christmas is good news. It is a pivotal moment in history. The birth, birth of Jesus, the Son of God, who will one day die on the cross for the sins of the world is a pivotal moment. 
It's a moment filled with hope and with joy because Christmas shows us the love that God has for us. When Reza lit the candle, he read from John 3, verse 16. Very well-known part of the Bible. But think about this, of what this means. For God so loved the world that he gave his only son, that whoever believes in him should not perish, but have eternal life. This is the message of Christmas, that God gave his only son. This was good news for Simeon and Anna, because they had waited and waited. And it's good news for you and I this morning that Jesus came. God, the creator and the sustainer of all things, stepped out of heaven and took on humanity, became like us as Jesus. There's an author, pastor named A.W. Tozer. There's a quote that I read, and here's what he said. He said, I am struck with the wonder and the significance of the limitless meaning of these two words, he came. Within them, the whole scope of divine mercy and redeeming love is outlined. Think about that. He came. Because when you stand back and look, it answers those questions. Is God going to keep his promise? Is God good? Does God care? Is he there? Yes. Because if he wasn't, he wouldn't have done any of this. He would have said, you humans have kind of messed everything up. Good luck. Go do it on your own. But that is not who God is. He came. Christmas is good news. Because of Jesus The debt of our sin has been paid. You and I, because of Jesus and his death on the cross, and he rose from the the grave, can come into a relationship with God. It's good news that Jesus has come to bring hope to a weary world. All right, so I promised you a couple other points. We're going to look at these here. All right, so Christmas is an announcement of good news, a thrill of hope, The weary world rejoices. So, this morning, what is our response? What do we do with this? If we say, okay, Christmas is necessary, and yet God has come, and it's good news that there is a way to be forgiven of our sin, what do we do with that? The first thing is rejoice. It seems simple, but but I want it to feel practical this morning, right? Think about Simeon and Anna. What did both of them do when they met Jesus, when they saw Jesus? They rejoice. In verse 28, that's when Simeon, you know, he has the Lion King moment. He lifts him up. He took him in his arms, and he blessed God and said, God, you have done according to your word. He's worshiping. He is rejoicing. And then when you look at the story of Anna, she walks up, and it says, she began to give thanks to God and to speak of him to all who were waiting for the redemption of Jerusalem. They are worshiping. Their reaction, their response is to rejoice that God had sent Jesus. Something I noticed about Anna is that her rejoicing was noticed, right? What does it say? It says, she began to give thanks to God and speak of him to all who were waiting, right? She can't contain it. She's just like bubbling over. I imagine this old cute little lady just rejoicing because she's seen the Messiah, right? our rejoicing will be noticed. And so how is this practical? I think it's this way. This week leading up to Christmas and even beyond, take time each day during this Christmas season to worship, to rejoice, 
Take time to put your attention on God, thinking about his greatness and his love towards us. Rejoice and worship him for sending Jesus to rescue us out of our sin. It, it might take a little bit of intention, right? So be intentional to literally just some, sometimes each day pause, be still, maybe alone, maybe with your family, maybe with others that you live with or whatever your situation, and take time to remember why Christmas is necessary and why it is good news and respond in rejoicing. And so leading up to Christmas, whether it's in the morning or at night or both or whatever, on your own or with your family, take a moment to just pause. Say, God, we want to worship you because you have come. You have kept your promises, God. You are worthy of worship. Worship is simply a response to God for who he is and what he has done. Right? We don't have to just like figure it out on our own. We think, God, who are you? What have you done? Wow, God, that's awesome. Thank you for that. Like that is worship when we respond to what God has done. So rejoice even in our weariness that Jesus is a thrill of hope and we can rejoice. And my prayer this Christmas season and beyond is that our rejoicing as the church, as God's people, is that our rejoicing would be noticed by the people around us, just like it was with Anna. It's a little weird right now because you probably don't see many people, right? But what happens when people start to see joy in you? When people start to see worship and rejoicing, when people start to see that, yeah, it's hard and you are burdened just the same as anyone else, and yet you have a hope that goes beyond what's right in front of us. That we rejoice and we pray that the people around us would see the joy of Jesus in our lives. So rejoice. The second thing is rest. Rejoice and rest. That's my encouragement for your Christmas week. Rejoice and rest. Jesus has come to bring hope to a weary world. A lot of us are feeling the weariness this year, maybe more than ever. My, my encouragement to you today is to rest. Rest in the love of God. Rest in the fact that through Jesus and his work on the cross, we can have peace with God. And again, I'm not really talking about getting better sleep or feeling calmer. Like, those are good things. And maybe if you have a Christmas break, take a nap, right? Whatever. But I'm talking about something that's so much deeper. A rest that goes down into our souls. A rest that is built on placing our trust in the Lord. In Matthew chapter 11, Jesus was talking to his followers. Verse 28 through 30. And he said, he said this, come to me all who labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and lowly in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. For my yoke is easy and my burden is light. Rest. There is rest found in placing our lives into God's hands, looking to him for our source of life, looking to him for our hope. It is a rest that is not just physical, not just emotional, not just mental. It is a spiritual rest that's found in him. 
today, you can rest. If you've ever been to the Renaissance offices, on the wall, there's this quote, right? It's from a book from a a pastor named Tim Chester. Um, So maybe you've heard this before, maybe you haven't, but this is what it says. This is going to be on the screen because I think it so, it does such a good job at describing rest. Think about this. God is great, so we don't have to be in control. God is glorious, so we don't have to fear others. God is good, so we don't have to look elsewhere. God is gracious, so we don't have to prove ourselves. This is rest. This is what it looks like and it feels like for us to say, God, you are great and glorious and good and gracious, and I don't have to figure it all out and fix it all and prove myself and look other places to find my joy in my life because, God, it's found in you. And you and I know really well, we know the striving We know all the trying to keep up, trying to earn others' approval, maybe trying to earn God's approval, all of those things. But what God is inviting us into is rest. Say, I don't have to prove myself. I don't have to earn those things because the sad reality is you can't, right? Our own works, our own goodness will never be good enough for God to be like, wow, you're amazing, right? Now, God loves us, and he loves us enough to say, Let me do it for you. We can find rest in him. As as we go through this week and lead up towards Christmas on Friday, rejoice because of who God is and what he has done and rest because it is not on you to solve it, to fix it, to figure it out. We can rest. I just want to share this morning as we think about these things and kind of begin to wrap up what this looks like for me. When I was a kid, um, my, my family, um, I, I grew up in a home where from a young age I went to church. Probably my, my parents became Christians when I was about three years old, four years old. Um, and so that's really all I really remember. Um, but I remember going to church as a kid. Um, and then when I was six years old, um, I would sit in church and I would hear the pastor preach and talk about sin and talk about Jesus and talk about salvation. And I was six, I was young, but it made sense. I understood that I was, that I had sin in my life. Um, you know, you can't, you might think, well, what's a six-year-old going to do? Well, I, I understood. I knew. Um, this is not in my notes, but um, one specific thing that like stood out to me, well, two things. Um, one thing was, one time my dad and I had to go, there was this old farmer that lived close to us, and we had to go and feed his cows, right? And you're probably thinking like, wow, I didn't know James was a redneck. Well, yes, I kind of was, right? So we had to go feed this farmer's cows, right? And we go, and I was six years old. For some reason, this farmer had like I don't know, at the time it seemed like probably a dozen, but it's like probably five or six old cars. And I guess he would use them to like get parts from, and they were like parked in this field, right? And he, there's all these old cars. So six-year-old James thinks it's a good idea. I get rocks and I just start breaking windows out of these cars, right? Okay, whatever. This was, you know, Brock, don't listen. This is not a good idea right now. All right, but I do this. Now, that was bad. I probably shouldn't have done that. But what was worse was I lied about it, Right? I told my, like, someone asked me about it, and I was like, no, it wasn't me. I don't know. It was the birds. I don't know, right? And so 
but I lied about it. And so later I said, yeah, it was me. And like I came to my parents and I said, I, you know. But, but I remember that specifically because I understood lying and what that felt like, that guilt, the shame, the, the sin of that. So even though I was young, I understood. And it was so clear to me that God, in his love, had sent Jesus. And Jesus died on the cross to forgive us of our sin, and he rose again. And that anyone who put their faith in Jesus, that their sin would be forgiven. So as a six-year-old kid, um, one day I was with my parents. I said, I want to put my trust in Jesus. And I understood what it meant. And I had this treehouse. My dad and I went up in the treehouse, and we prayed. I said, Jesus, I want to follow you. Forgive me of my sin, my sin, right? And I just remember the joy. I remember running back to my house and saying, Mom, I became a Christian, right? And so I say all this to say, I, I, this is kind of how I grew up. And so I grew up in church, and I was always in Sunday school or class and services and all these things. And then later I was in youth group and all these things. But what happened in my life was I understood what Jesus had done, but as I went along and as I got older, I fell into a trap that's so easy to fall into is I started thinking, well, if I read my Bible and pray and do things and work hard and do things at church, then God's going to love me more. Now, I don't think I said it out loud, but it was this like under the surface, this subtle thing like, well, if I'm good, then God loves me more, right? And if I failed to do any, things, it was, any of those things, it was like, oh, I'm the worst person in the world. And I was missing something in understanding who God is. I was missing what grace means. I was missing that it's not what I do that earns me anything with God. It's what God has done that freely invites me into relationship with him. And so as I got older, I started understanding this, and God's grace started to make sense. And Well, it doesn't make sense, right? It's God's grace. But I started to feel that in my heart to say, I don't have to earn anything. I, I probably will fail. I probably, I can't keep up this standard. God doesn't love me more if I live according to something that I'm supposed to think I'm supposed to do. God's love for me does not change because it's not based on me. It's based on Jesus and his perfect love for us. So, and, and I'm still learning this every day. Every day I'm learning, I don't have to earn it. I don't have to solve it. I don't have to figure all these things out. My hope and trust is in Jesus. So God is still working in me. But what I want you to hear today is that this, it's, it's about rest, right? I am learning to rest. I'm learning to say, God, you are the one that does everything that I need. And I simply just come and enjoy you and know you and obey you and walk with you. Because that's what God invites us into. I'm learning to rest. This morning, I want you to hear, if you're online, if you're here, God has not forgotten you. Think about Simeon and Anna. He kept his promise. God keeps his promises. As we prepare for Christmas, hear this, you matter. You matter so much. You and I matter so much that God loved us so much that he sent his only son, Jesus, to rescue us out of our sin. You are loved. And in your weariness, God is there. 
and all the deepest longings of your heart, the things that you crave and long for, they are found in Jesus. Now hear this message one more time. Christmas is necessary. Why? Because of our sin. That you and I, as humans, are sinful. It's just reality. We know it. We know the world around us is broken. We know in our own life there are things that aren't right. And it doesn't mean that you are this awful, filthy scum and God hates you, but it means your sin separates you from God. You cannot be in relationship with God because of your sin. Christmas is necessary because of our sin, but Christmas is also good news. And what is the good news? Is that God loved us enough to send Jesus, and Jesus was born of a virgin. He was born sinless. He lived a sinless and perfect life. He did not ever go against what God had for him. He never rebelled against God. He lived a perfect life. And when Jesus gave his life on the cross, when he died on the cross for my sin, for your sin, it wasn't like, oh, it's just this wonderful act of love. It was an act of love, but it's so much more than that. Because of our sin, we deserve judgment. We deserve punishment from God because we have committed treason against him. And so what did Jesus do? Jesus said, I will take their place. I will have the punishment the judgment of God put upon me instead of upon humanity. So the cross, yes, is a symbol of love, but it is Jesus taking our place because of our sin. Jesus did not stay on the cross. He rose from the dead. He conquered death. That death is not the end. Death is not the final word. We are not under the power of sin anymore because of Jesus. So what that means is, here we are over here in our sin, in our brokenness, and here's God and his holiness. How do we get there? It's through Jesus, and it's through us putting our faith in Jesus. It's not through us saying, okay, I need to be better. I need to go to church more, read the Bible more, be more religious. I need to be kinder to my neighbors. I need to stop yelling at the dog, whatever it is. It's not through us just saying, okay, let me clean my life up a little bit. It's through us coming to surrender and saying, I cannot fix myself. I cannot clean myself up. It is only through Jesus. And it's an act of faith of saying, Jesus, I put my faith in you. That you are the only way to God and that you are the only way that my sin is forgiven. Every bit of it is good news. Because God is saying, I've loved you enough that you can be rescued out of your sin. And that when someone puts their faith in Jesus, your sin is forgiven. God does not hold your sin against you. He looks at you. If, if you are a Christian this morning, he looks at you and he sees the righteousness, the goodness, the holiness of Jesus. I can't always get my mind around that because it's an amazing thought. That's what Jesus has done. So this morning... Rejoice at what Jesus has done. Rest in his finished work. Because we celebrate Christmas because Jesus has come to bring hope to a weary world. If the worship team wants to come back up, we're going to sing together here in just a moment. We're going to sing a song that's not a Christmas song, right, necessarily, right? But... Um, it's the, the line of the song says, our sins, they are many, but his mercy is more.
That's the message. That's why Christmas is necessary. That's the good news of Christmas is that, yeah, our sin is there, but God's mercy is more. It's deeper. And so before we sing, here's what I would say. This morning, if we can pray for you, if we can pray with you, if you have questions about what it means to follow Jesus, we would love to talk about that with you. If God is stirring in your heart and you're saying, I don't know, but God is inviting me, God is stirring in me to put my faith in him, we would love to talk with you. You can reach out to us. But I want you to hear today that there is there's no other way. Apart from Jesus, we'll spend our lives searching and looking. And, and maybe your life is pretty good. And, and, but, but deep inside, you know there's this nagging emptiness. That is what's filled by Jesus. That is where we come and say, that's where I find my hope. Or maybe your life, <laughs> maybe you're here in the room or watching online, maybe your life feels like an absolute disaster right now. And it's in our weakest, it's in our brokenness that Jesus says, come to me and I will give you rest. So we'd love to talk with you.